Um, this morning we're going to be digging back into Advent again. Uh, last week we talked about hope. Who was here for last week? Awesome. Uh, and this week we're going to dive into peace, the peace of the Lord. So uh, just to give you a quick recap, historically as, as we talk about Advent and we go through these next several weeks, um, Advent is a season that historically the church used to celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ into this world. And so that word Advent um, in the Latin is Adventus, which actually means arrival. And so for the church, this season actually should bring a lot of excitement to us. This should be something that we really find a lot of joy in because we're celebrating something that um, much of the world doesn't even understand, and we've been given this gift. And so as we spend the next few weeks talking about hope and peace and joy and love, may we be reminded over the next several weeks that um, these aren't just things we talk about, they're not just things we read about, but they're things that we've actually been granted the privilege to partake in. Amen? Uh, And so, um, again, I I hope that the next few weeks there's at least this pointing back to the significance of all of this for us, and it's more than words. But historically, uh, in the season of Advent, the church did two things. Uh, One, they would look back, and they would realize where they came from, like what God brought them out of. Um, But two, they would also look forward, and so historically, Advent was uh, celebrating the first arrival of Jesus, so the the birth of the the Messiah coming the first time. But for us today, we also realize that there's a second Advent to come. There's a second arrival, and for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, um, the birth is pretty awesome, but the fact that he's coming for us again and he's taking us home with him eternally is pretty stinking rad, isn't it? And so um, we have a lot to be grateful for and a lot to look forward to during the season. And we talked last week as we kicked off the season about um, living in a culture that's sort of addicted to anticipation and how sometimes our addiction to anticipation can do one of two things. Either one, it can cause us to miss out on the here and now uh, and, and because we're so focused on what's next, so we're so driven by the next thing that we actually can't fully partake in the gift of the present, or two, it can cause us to become really frustrated when the thing that we're anticipating never actually comes to pass. And so we we talked last week about this anticipation, but as we boil this down into Jesus, it's not just anticipation, it's actually hope. Like, we don't live with a false anticipation today as followers of Jesus. We actually live with hope that's actually grounded in Christ himself. It's grounded in his word, the, the author of Hebrews says that our hope is this anchor for our soul, like there's something that we're anchored to beyond the circumstances and things that we go through and experience in this world. There's hope in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to jump into peace. Uh, a couple questions for you guys before we dive in. Have you guys ever had one of those days in your life where nothing seems to go right? Anybody? At least half of you, that's awesome. One of those days where it seems like from the minute you get up to the minute you put your head on the pillow, there can't possibly won't be one more thing that could go wrong. And um, many of us have had those days, and those days, I think, for me, are really those days when I feel as though I need the peace of God in my life. Something that transcends all understanding, I need the peace of God. And I think it's really rare these days to actually find people that are truly at peace, to be totally honest with you. 
I spend the majority of my weeks talking to people, day in and day out, meeting after meeting, people sharing their hearts, their circumstances, what they're going through in life, how they're feeling, what they're excited about. I hear people talk a lot about, um, like people that are go-getters talk a lot about this next thing that they're going to do, or I meet people who are stressed out. I talk to people who are tired. I talk to people that are super ambitious and they're driving for somebody. I talk to, for something. I talk to lots of people and things that they would like to accomplish. But this last week, I was thinking about the last time I met with somebody, and they said, I'm at peace. And it just doesn't feel like it happens very often that you hear somebody say, I'm truly at peace. Like, very rarely do I talk to people that are at peace with God, that are at peace with themselves, or are at peace with others. And it seems like they're few and far between, and it's a very rare quality And yet, it's one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? That because we as believers believe that Jesus came to this earth to bring what? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. About 700 years ago, before the, or 700 years before the first Christmas, before Jesus was born, um, God spoke through this prophet named Isaiah, and he said that the Savior of the world would come and that the Savior would be called the Prince of Peace. And so if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and what? Say this with me. Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. This thing keeps going out, sorry. So Isaiah's talking about Jesus. 700 years prior to Jesus coming to this earth, he's talking about this, this Messiah that would come. And his words in reference to this Messiah was that he would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. The prince of peace. So in the Hebrew, this word peace is the word shalom. So he was literally saying that he would be the prince of shalom. Uh, A prince, as we know, would be somebody who had some sort of leadership over a group of people. so, So this Jesus, or this Messiah that would be to come, would actually be the proponent of peace. He would be the instigator of peace. And then when Jesus is born, the angels appear to the shepherds, again, 700 years later after Isaiah, and this is what they say in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest... And on earth, peace among men with whom he's pleased. Peace among men with whom he's pleased. So Isaiah announces peace, and then the angels announce peace, and then when Jesus gets here, his whole ministry is about peace on earth. And Jesus says this, before he goes back to heaven, Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He says, the kind of peace that I give to you, only I can give to you. And it isn't like the peace that this world offers you. So as you read this, you think, like, what is this peace that the world gives? That he's contrasting. What is the peace that the world gives? Well, the peace that the world gives is phony, And the peace that the world gives is fragile, and the peace that the world gives doesn't last. I I was reading up this week about the amount of peace treaties that have been signed amongst nations for hundreds of years, 
And practically all of them have been broken. <laughs> the, the peace that the world tries to offer us is not real. It does not last. It's eventually broken. And so for this Advent season, I want us to think about a couple things. This might sound like a very simple message this morning, but there's two things I want you to think about. The kind of peace that Jesus gives you, and then how you go about getting that peace. How do we have it? How do we become peacemakers? How do we become people that actually when you talk to one another, we're like, I'm, I'm filled with peace. I'm at peace in my life. I have no idea where each of you in this room are at right now. I have no idea what this last year has looked like for you. But as we wrap up another year in 2019, I know for a fact that some of you in this room, because I've talked to you, are tired. I know that some of you in this room are just feeling fatigued. I know some of you are worn out, that this year has been stressful for you. And if, the, if that is you this morning, then I'm actually really, really glad you're here <laughs> as we talk about the peace of God. Because I don't believe that God wants you to go into this next year full of stress, full of worry, full of anxiety, but instead to be full of peace, full of God's serenity and his tranquility. In the Bible, there are over 300 verses that reference this word peace. And so I'd like to take a look at every single one of them this morning. If you'd open up your Bibles, we'll start. <laughs> we're going to go through all of them. But if you summarize all these references to peace in Scripture, several hundred references to peace, you can categorize them into three different categories. You can see them as one eternal peace or peace with God or a spiritual peace like us to him. This peace granted to us by God. Um, two, there's this internal peace or this peace with ourselves. We'll call it emotional peace. And then three, there's this external peace or this peace with others. We'll call this our relational peace. And so I want to look at these three kinds of peace today and look at it very holistically in regards to this phrase, peace, because sometimes I think we can say, oh, I just want peace. And all that means to us is that we want to escape all hardship in this life and just live um, completely peaceful, tranquil lives. Uh, and, and that's not as easy as that. How many of you know that in this room? How many of you are like trying for peace every single day? I just want peace. I'm like trying to make it happen. But the first piece is this, it's peace with God. Might I start this by saying, this is the most important, most vital, most critical peace that you can have. It's the most, it's the most important because this peace actually impacts every facet of your life. This peace impacts your internal peace, and it impacts your relational peace. If you don't have this peace, you don't have any peace. Uh, has anybody in here ever had a disagreement with their spouse or significant other? A handful of you have had that before? Um, you guys, it's awesome when you see like the couple, and the wife's like, and the husband's just like, nah, it's all good. <laughs> I, never, I never had that before, and the wife's like, her hand keeps going up higher. But when you have these tensions in your relationship with one another, with a significant other, or um, with your spouse, when you have these tensions, how many of you can relate to the fact that it impacts everything else around you? 
When there's tension in your marriage, it actually impacts everything. Nothing else in life seems to matter when there's tension with you and your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It's like it impacts everything. It seems to completely rob you of your joy and your peace in all facets of life when there's tension there. Nothing does this more in your life than being out of peace with God. If you're out of peace with him, everything else will feel out of control. Because it was actually made, he made you to be in relationship, to be in peace, reconciled to him. The Bible says that the first thing Jesus did is he came to restore peace between us and himself. That was Jesus' goal. 2 Corinthians 5.18. I'm going to blast through a lot of verses this morning. So they'll be on the screen if you want to try to track them down with your uh, Bible. Go for it. But 2 Corinthians 5.18. Paul says this. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So essentially what Paul's saying is that God sent Jesus to actually make peace between us and God. Jesus was the thing that allowed peace to be had between us and God. So, so why do we need peace with God? Because any time we decide to go our own way in our life and think that we know what's better for us than God knows for us, anytime we know what God wants us to do and we decide to do something different, we essentially decide to be God of our own lives, to be Lord over my own life. We decide that we know better than God knows. And when we try to pretend that we're God, when we try to pretend that we're Lord, when we disobey God or ignore what he tells us to do, it's actually an act of rebellion. You parents in the house know what rebellion is, correct? You have kids that act in rebellion. They do the exact opposite thing that you told them to do. And when there's rebellion, it actually puts us in conflict with God himself. The Bible says that there's no peace there. When there's enmity, between us and God. And this is why people feel disconnected from God. And that's not God's heart, that this would exist. Like God desires to be connected to his people. He, he made you for relationship with him, to be connected to him. And here's what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified or made right by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through what? Through who? We have peace with God through who? Jesus Christ. Say that again. We have peace with God through who? Jesus Christ. Look at that phrase. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, because of what Jesus did, we have peace with God. Peace with God doesn't come from what you do. I want you to hear that if there's anything you get this morning, listen to this. You cannot attain peace with God on your own. You can't do it. Peace with God comes from what Jesus did. Not what you did, but what Jesus did. And as we go back to the book of Genesis, we see this fall. We, we, we see when sin enters into the world, when Adam and Eve uh, partook of that which God told them not to. And, and it was through this enmity or this opposition or hostility that came, uh, that, that, that this enmity or this hostility came between God and man. Like when sin enters the world, when we talk about the fall in Genesis, we talk about the fact that there was something that occurred. There was disobedience that led to a place where there was sin that entered this world. There was hostility between God and man and his creation. And the whole New or Old Testament is this quest for mankind to find peace 
with God again. And so, and it's also God's continued pursuit of mankind to have peace with his creation once again, the way he intended for it to be. But sin caused this rift. And so as, as we look at the ultimate peace that we can have, it's to be right with God. Like that's the, the, the best peace that we can be offered is between us and the Lord. It's to have this enmity or this hostility, this opposition removed so that our relationship with him would be fully restored to the way that God intended for it to be. This is what Jesus did for us. For those of you that are in the room this morning thinking that you're going to make peace in your life, fight for peace, and do things to try to attain peace, I want to encourage you this morning that you can't. It's only in Jesus. He was the way to peace with God. It's not what you do. Like being a nice person does not get you peace with God. You get peace with God through what Jesus did for us. And this is what Christmas is all about, that peace came to earth. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen? A lot of religions, if you go back and study some of their practices, have what's called a peace offering. Uh, if you look back to like the Greek and the Roman culture, um, they would often make these peace offerings to their God to try to make peace. So they'd offer something to God in exchange for peace with him. And, and so God said that there's no need for us to make a peace offering to God because Jesus became the peace offering for us. He was it. Hebrews 7.27 says, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So we don't have to offer any sacrifices or peace offerings or do anything in order to gain reconciliation with God. Jesus did it once and for all. So it's faith, belief in Jesus Christ that grants us this peace with God. Uh, so the first piece is peace with God. The second piece is peace within us. So it, it's this emotional peace. How many of you guys feel like you need emotional peace today? The Bible has this phrase in reference to this peace in us, and the Bible calls it the peace of God. And when we have peace with God, then we receive the peace of God. So, so first we have peace with God so that we can receive the peace of God, like inside Colossians 3.15 says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So peace with God leads to peace of God. The, the, this word in, when he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it means inside of us. It means in, internal. It means our emotional peace. And the word for peace in scripture is this Hebrew word shalom that you've probably heard before. Shalom means much more than just ending hostility. That's like the weak version of peace that, that we tend to know on this earth is just like to end any sort of hostility. 
But this word shalom has way more to it. It actually means well-being. It means happiness. It means harmony. It means serenity. It has a ton of different meanings wrapped up in it. And in fact, as I said, there's over 300 references to peace in Scripture. And it's interesting because I think the Jews had a much more holistic understanding of peace than we do today. The peace we often think about today is only this peace, like, I want peace within me. It's only this version of peace that we think about. We don't think about peace with God, and we certainly do not like peace with others, because that requires work. What we want is just peace within. And the Jewish understanding of peace encompassed all three of these versions of peace that we're talking about today, God, us, and others. And just as there were numerous references to peace in Scripture, and it's used in reference to all kinds of struggles, uh, both with God, both with ourselves, both and with others, I think it's important to understand that whatever you're going through today, God actually has a peace for every single one of your problems that you're experiencing in your life. God comforts us. He guides us. He forgives us. He gives us confidence. Like these are versions of his peace. And it's as if, his, it's as if God is saying, when you have peace with me, you actually get the peace of me. And whatever you're going through today, this, the, the word of God gives us what we need to find um, in, in order for us to find this peace of God in every circumstance. And then there's this third type of peace. And this is the peace with others. This is this relational peace. And here's the really harsh reality of this peace, is that the further we get from God, the more it messes with the peace that we have with others. Some of you wonder why all the relationships in your life are so jacked up. And it seems as though there's zero relational peace in your life, but yet you miss the first step. Like, first it's this peace with God. Like, you want to have peace with others? Be at peace with Him. You want strength in your marriage? Draw near to the Lord. He's your source of peace. The more you and your spouse draw near to God the closer that you actually draw near to one another. More, the more distant that I get from God, the more distant I become relationally with others. I have this really good gauge in my life um, that helps me identify when I need some time with Jesus. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you are like this, but for me, when I start getting cranky with others, it's probably not their problem, it's probably mine. <laughs> When I want to be around people less, and I'm just frustrated, I'm like, I don't want to see anybody, I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't want to hear about any of their stuff, I just want to be alone, there's probably a bigger problem at hand. When I'm frustrated with everybody else, or I snap at the people that I love the most, and the, the, the people around me, there's probably another issue. And I realize that it's probably not their problem, it's a good sign that it's my problem, and that I've probably failed to sit back and let the peace of God give me the peace of God. And that's a good reminder for us today. If you find yourself in relational conflict with everybody around you, maybe you're struggling to allow your peace with God to give you the peace of God this morning. The world isn't getting any more peaceful, is it? It's actually becoming more and more conflicted on a daily basis. 
So how in the world do we have unity with one another? When we're watching this world fall apart around us, I was watching this documentary the other night, and on this documentary it had the, it had the seal, the United States seal on it. And it says what? It says e pluribus unum, right? Or, or in other words, um, out of many, one. And then we often see on things written like united we stand or in God we trust. Like great intentions, but how in the world is that possible in a world that is so different? And I was thinking like, again, how in the world do we do this when there's so many different kinds of people from so many different, how does unity actually happen? And the only way that we will have peace and have unity is when we are unified as children of God. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, Paul says this, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through what? Through what? The cross. Thereby killing the hostility. What killed the hostility? The cross of Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection killed the hostility that existed amongst brothers and sisters. This is what Paul's saying. When we have the Prince of Peace in our lives, then we will have peace with one another. When you look around at all the injustice in the world, and you look at crime, you look at hostility that exists in the world we live in, you wonder how it will ever be made right, how unity and peace will be brought to such a divided, gnarly world. Galatians 3.28 says this, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we're equal. We're the same. Like, it's only in Jesus. Like, Jesus is this great equalizer. How many of you guys have ever heard it said that um, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level? Like, we're all standing at the same height at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. It's equalized. Jesus was this great equalizer. And then these three kinds of peace begin to be built on one another. And this is how I think the Jews historically understood the holistic approach to peace. First, you have peace with God. And if that's the case, then you can have peace within. And if you have peace within, you can have peace with others. And so how do I practice peace with others if I'm living in complete turmoil myself? And it's this holistic approach to peace that Jesus came to bring upon this earth. This peace starts with Jesus. But I want, what I want to challenge you with today is that this peace starts with Jesus so that we can be inwardly transformed in order to have outwardly impact. We can't be a people who would settle for anything less than peace. And unfortunately, we go through this life trying our best to make peace with God and find peace within while many live in conflict all around us. And one of the best reminders this Advent season is of our reconciliation with God. That it doesn't end there. That it actually extends to others. And so I want to go back. I want, Josh, if you can put up 2 Corinthians 5.18. And I want you to see the end of this passage because this is This is where we'll kind of uh, end this this morning. 
He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And he doesn't end there. He says this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like, it gave us the ability to become peacemakers. This is one of our greatest calls as believers, to be people of peace. Last week, we talked about finding hope in the waiting. And this week, uh, the, the offer is to have peace here on this earth while we wait for Jesus to return. Is it possible? Yes. Only in Christ. So knowing our position with God as recipients of peace, church, you now have the freedom to operate in the peace that he's granted you. To, to move in peace. To become agents of peace and of reconciliation to this world. And this is the crazy upside down aspect of God's kingdom. Something that we'll get more into when we get into January. But this idea that we love those who hate us. That we love those who say all kinds of evil against us. That we love our neighbors as ourselves. Like this does not make sense to the rest of the world because it's eye for an eye in the world, right? What you did to me, I'll do to you. I definitely will not love those or like those that hate me or say all kinds of bad things against me. But the upside down part of God's kingdom is that as recipients of peace, if we are going to be, as, he, as Paul says, ministers, servants of reconciliation, that doesn't mean we just love the people that are easy to love, like the people that are easy to like. It actually requires for us to look much deeper and question our own heart and motives and ask who are the people in your life that you actually have hatred against, that have done all kinds of horrible things to you, that have said horrible things to you. Who are the people that you have every right to not be in relationship with? And the question I would ask you this morning is what does it look like for you to extend peace to those people? What does it look like? And the interesting thing about this peace is that it can only be found when all of us has been emptied, right? Like, I can't have that peace when I'm holding on to bits myself. Like, I empty myself of my own anger and my frustrations and the things that I've built up that have allowed me to justify my hostility against others, I empty myself of that and allow the peace of God to fill me up so that I can be ministers, I can be a minister of that peace to others. And so in the waiting, as we talked about this anticipation of what's to come, in this waiting time before Jesus comes back, this is like one of our greatest privileges as the church is to be proponents of reconciliation in a world that that doesn't make sense in. You want people to see Jesus? It probably will happen better as you extend a hand to those that have hated you most than it would to just preach at them. You want people to know Christ and you want to see the gospel actually become a light that shines forth from you? Then be a peacemaker in the world that God's placed you in because as he reconciled you to himself, you now have this great privilege to be an agent of reconciliation in the world, to show the world what Jesus did for you. What a great privilege. 
Uh, this morning I'm going to light a second candle. And uh, last week we lit this candle of hope. And I asked you guys to stare into that flame and allow that flame to burn an image into your brain throughout this next week as you think about hope. May it be something that doesn't just go away when you close your eyes, but something that when you close your eyes, you still see shining ever so brightly. And this morning as we talk about peace, may you be reminded this morning that peace starts with God through his son Jesus. It continues on inside of us and creates a peace within but then it extends out into the world and it creates a peace in our world. And there's something really amazing about light, isn't there? I'm gonna ask, can somebody turn the lights off for me for a sec? Josh, can you? These are obviously much brighter than this, but there's something really awesome about light that in a dark place, it can't help but be seen. And this is what Jesus did as he brought light into darkness, was he came into a place that was utterly dark, and his light shone forth. And it's pretty awesome what he was able to accomplish and do for us in the gift, in God's gift of his son Jesus to us. But um, now you live in a world that is dark, and the way the world will see and notice you isn't by what you say, it isn't by the things you read, it's by the way what God's done in you impacts what he does through you. And let your light shine ever so brightly in the world that we live in. And this doesn't happen by you just doing good things for people. It actually starts by us examining our hearts and saying, God, if I do have peace within from you, what does it look like for me to extend that peace to others? And so as I light the candle this morning, I want you to remember his peace offered to us, one, and I also want you to remember his peace offered through us, two. I'm gonna play a video clip for you guys in a second, and um, some of you have probably seen this video clip, but um, I just thought it was the most amazing example of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, for those of you that have probably seen this clip on the news or you saw it online, it was um, the act of this man forgiving this woman who had shot the man's brother and killed him. And in the courtroom, uh, this man basically says, like, all I can hope for you is that you would find peace with God. And he steps down off of uh, the stand and he literally gives the woman a hug and tells her that he loves her. And I just can't think of a greater act of forgiveness and peace and reconciliation in this world than to, for us to extend a hand to those that have done the most wicked of things to us. When this world's telling you you have every right to dislike that person because they've done some horrendous things to you, that we would be a person that would say that's not good enough. Jesus had every right to disregard us and he did not. He died and bled brutally on that cross for us. And he rose again in order to offer us this gift of eternal life, for us to be saved, forgiven, set free. When he didn't have to, he did. And so the same thing goes in our lives today. When we don't have to, we do. 
And that's this upside down kingdom that we live in with Jesus as our Prince of Peace. Amen? So I'm going to play this clip and then um, we're going to worship uh, a little bit and then I'll come up and close this out.